Thank you for your testimony. The chair will now recognize members for questions. I'd like to start by recognizing Mr. Fulcher. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And uh, this is for uh, Stephanie or Ms. Smallhouse. Thank you for your testimony. We're going through a, a significant inflation period right now. And uh, one of the biggest complaints I know that I, I get in my state of Idaho has to do with the cost of energy and uh, gasoline. So one of the things I'd like to get your perspective on is in your testimony, you discussed some of the restrictions that H.R. 8179 would have on energy development, not just the development, but transmission and particularly renewable energy sources. How do you think this legislation could impact Arizona's energy reliability and affordability, particularly when those prices have increased by about 19.8 percent compared to this time last year? Uh, thank you, Congressman, uh, Ranking Member Fulton, Fulker. Um, I, I have no doubt that it will impact. Um, we're, we're going to have an increasing demand on um, electricity, especially with the transition to electric vehicles. There are two electric districts included within the area of this conservation area, which have uh, previously spoken in opposition to the creation of additional um, designations over this land area. I have no doubt that with the language of the bill and the way it's written, um, that will surely impact line maintenance, um, access to lines, and um, in the current resource management plan for the same area, there are eight multi-use utility corridors um, identified within this area. Um, that was certainly for a reason um, during the long process of developing that resource management plan because folks anticipated um, the increased um, demand um, for power and the ability of this particular area to provide renewable resources. And um, it specifically states in the resource management plan, the current plan for this area, uh, that there is great support for renewable projects and development of solar and wind projects. So in answer to your question, I have no doubt that the development of an additional layer of management and restriction on this particular area um, will have an impact on energy costs and the ability, especially of those uh, um, districts that provide energy to agriculture in those areas and outlying areas to provide that energy affordably. So along that thought process, you'd mentioned the federal land ownership in Arizona, some 28 million acres, I believe, which is uh, 4.5 million of which is in wilderness right now. You did touch on this, but I'd like you to expand a little bit further. Please discuss some of the unique challenges that that brings to managing land for multiple use within the state when it's actually federally controlled. Ms. Smallhouse. Well, um, yes, uh, Congressman. I think there's no doubt the fact that uh, when we have such a high amount of federal lands within the state, it's provided, it's created challenges for managing the resources. Uh, ranchers are required to follow all sorts of environmental laws, Endangered Species Act, NEPA, uh, Federal Land Management Policy Act. Um, the federal agencies um, continue to lack resources in terms of people and on the ground um, work to manage these lands. And so a lot of that falls on the rancher. And when they don't have the funding, um, then fences can't get built, um, things like that. So I think that's going to have an impact. And as well, it increases just an environment for litigation. Okay. Um, in the past few years, there have been several cases where ranchers have been litigated. Okay, thank you. We've only got about a minute left. So I'd just like to, to hone in on grazing just a little bit. Grazing is a very important tool for preservation of uh, prevention, excuse me, of invasive species in Arizona. Buffalo grass is one of the primary ones. 
Left unchecked will dominate the desert landscape, enable regular fast-moving wildfire. Uh, please touch on that specifically and how uh, HR 8719 and the uh, prohibition of grazing permits, or there's certainly the great restriction on that, will have an impact on, uh, what kind of an impact will that have on uh, invasive species like buffalo grass? Uh, very quickly, grazing is an important tool to control vegetation. Um, buffalo grass requires very active management. It requires access to areas where there's buffalo grass. Um, it's not something you can just lock the gate and pretend that it will go away. Um, intensive grazing before seed heads develop is very uh, helpful for buffalo grass, and it's also helpful in basically avoiding fuel connectivity. Um, buffalo grass is very prone to wildfire, and the way to control that connectivity of the fuels is to have grazing as an active management tool in those areas. Thank you. Ms. Smallwood, uh, Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Mr. Smallhouse, excuse me. Gentleman yields back. Uh, the Chair will recognize himself just briefly for a few questions. Uh, Ms. Smallhouse, thank you for being here and for uh, testifying before the committee. Uh, I, I had a question. I, I'm not going to ask you about the particular wilderness uh, piece of legislation. I, I think you've, you've talked at great length about your position on the bill and, and of course, uh, Chairman Grijalva, who I, I know unfortunately can't be here for questions on this round, but uh, his spoken previously about uh, his uh, reasoning for putting forth that bill. I wonder, there's been a lot of discussion about agriculture, you know, grazing, uh, as well as you know, wildfire mitigation and resiliency and all those efforts, all of which uh, I certainly support and I suspect most members of this committee support. I wonder if you might talk a bit about the Infrastructure and Investment Jobs Act and the impact that that bill uh, that was passed by the Congress and was signed uh, by President Biden into law last year will have on Arizona agriculture and on Arizona uh, wildfire management. Uh, yes, Mr. Chairman, I can. Uh, the infrastructure bill includes a lot of uh, monies that we're hoping to use um, to bolster um, access uh, to water and augment water supplies during the drought here in Arizona. It also included a lot of language and attention to wildfire, um, as you mentioned. The fact is, is that ranchers are one of the most critical um, players in planning for prescribed burning. And that is um, obviously something that is missing in today's wildfire management. Um, it's very difficult to get uh, prescribed burns planned. It can take up to 10 years, if not more. And this has to do with the layering of designations upon designation of federal land. It just makes it more difficult to do prescribed burning. And so uh, we are happy that the infrastructure bill addresses a 10-year strategy and some funding for that. But if you don't have um, the ranchers on the land to assist with that, it's going to be very difficult to implement some of those practices. Well, I want to say thank you, uh, Ms. Smallhouse, first for uh, your candid testimony, because we, because I had reviewed a, a statement that you had issued uh, on behalf of the Arizona Farm Bureau last year in response to the infrastructure bill, which is consistent with what uh, you've testified to today. Uh, and so for your candor and for your support of that bill, and, and my colleagues uh, on uh, the subcommittee, I'm sure, uh, are frustrated that I sound a bit like a broken record talking about the Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act, but it's just because it's going to have such a profound impact. It's already having a profound impact on the people of Colorado and on the people of Arizona, farmers, ranchers, uh, those who live on the land, those uh, who are working really hard uh, in partnership with the Forest Service to implement the 10-year strategy, as you mentioned, that the Forest Service was able to launch earlier uh, this year as a byproduct of the investments that we made in, that, in this bill. I, I know um, 
you know, that, not, that many of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle uh, didn't support that particular piece of legislation, uh, but it was a really incredible investment for our country's future, and I, I'm grateful to you and to many others across the political spectrum uh, in our country uh, who, uh, who supported that particular piece of legislation. With that, I want to thank the witnesses for being here. Uh, oh, and I, I believe uh, we have one more uh, member to, uh, that will engage in some questioning. So I yield back the balance of my time and now recognize uh, the distinguished gentlewoman from New Mexico, Ms. Hurrell. Hi, uh, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Chairman. And yes, I'm sorry for being in and out of here, but I just wanted to ask a couple of questions uh, to Mrs. Smallhouse. And, you know, uh, Ms. Hurrell, if you could just uh, take your mic on there. There we go. Oh, I think it's, it is on. We'll give you some extra time. Uh, is it on now? It's you... on. Oh, okay. I think we're, can we hear it? Good. All right, all set. Thank you. Okay, can you hear it? Is that better? Okay, so thank you, Mr. Chair. And um, I was saying I apologize for being in and out of the committee, but I did have a couple of questions for Mrs. Uh, Smallhouse. And I'm, I'm actually concerned about the language in the three bills and what the impact, if it'll be a negative impact on critical industries to my district, like the livestock grazing on federal lands, um, which are actually already constantly under attack. I'm also concerned uh, by the provisions in H.R. 8109 that it would create a de facto wilderness study areas. And we've seen over the years in New Mexico how the wilderness study areas have been abused by Congress. And even when land management agencies have deemed the study areas not fit for wilderness designation, it is still nearly impossible to remove these study designations from these areas. And so my question, one of my questions, Mrs. Smallhouse, is, can you put on record for the committee some of the difficulties producers in Arizona have experienced with wilderness study areas and how they hamstring livestock producers in the West? Absolutely. Thank you, Congressman, for the question. Um, when you have a wilderness area, it becomes very difficult to do any kind of maintenance that you have required to do on your allotment. Um, that includes uh, road maintenance, which is very important for access to fence lines, um, watering infrastructure, different things like that. Just moving your cattle becomes very cumbersome. So in areas where wilderness areas exist, that's really taking a very important and valuable area of cellulosic production um, out of the food supply chain, because that's basically what we're doing with uh, the ranching and the cattle and the grazing industry, is we're turning cellulose into protein. And so every area that's designated as wilderness basically becomes um, incredibly inefficient for use in that way. And, um, and I received multiple complaints from ranchers wanting to just access uh, infrastructure to maintain it and how difficult that could be. Yeah, and, and you kind of hit the nail on the head because I feel like unnecessary restrictions on federal lands really serve no purpose other than to harm the people and communities who actually rely on them. I mean, in my district, federal mismanagement of public lands under current law is making lands more uh, fire prone and putting undue burdens on livestock ranching permittees, like you just mentioned, and piling more red tape will further exacerbate this problem. And for example, lack of forest management in New Mexico's national forests have made large sections of grazing allotments unusable and therefore forcing livestock into agrarian areas home to the endangered species. Did I say okay? And this overcrowding of livestock in the areas is putting the grazers out of compliance with their grazing agreements through no fault of their own. Um, Mrs. Uh, Smallhouse, and I know we haven't got lots of time left, but have you seen federal mismanagement of public lands under existing environmental regulations impact your uh, members in Arizona? Um, 
You know, absolutely. The fact is, is that, um, you know, we have folks in these agencies doing the best that they can under the circumstances that they have, but they do not have the funding um, resources or the people to get out on the ground with the ranchers um, to ensure that there's a, um, a productive partnership. And when that happens, what you end up with is, is litigation. Folks come in without data and um, they sue these ranchers on these um, federal lands and um, the ranchers are not assisted through the agencies because there's not the resources there to help them. And so we're seeing a lot of ranchers lose um, their AUMs and their allotments. I, I would point out that just with the National Conservation Area to the east of this proposed location, when that, um, when that National Monument was created, the Sonoran Desert National Monument, over 7,200 AUMs were canceled and 95,000 acres were taken out of production just with the swipe of a pen with the creation of that monument. And so that's likely what we're going to see in, in other areas. Um, but it, it really just goes back to the, the layering and layering and layering of uh, federal regulation in terms of the Endangered Species Act, uh, NEPA, all of these things. Uh, I think, I believe the people on the ground are doing the best they can, both on the agency side and the producer side, but it's very difficult to work your way through the bureaucracy of the red tape adding more layers of designation just makes this worse. Yeah, and I couldn't agree uh, with you more, and I think we need to be doing more to bolster this, this industry that is so vital to, to the American people. Um, I, I think we're out of time, and with that, Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Thank you. Gentlewoman yields back. The Chair now recognizes Chairman Grijalva for five minutes. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, the question I have is, uh, is having to do with uh, historic preservation. And, uh, and let me ask the witness, uh, on the pieces of legislation before us, and you gave testimony, uh, the importance of, uh, of those pieces of legislation it, it relates not only to restoration issues, but also into the process of assessment and identification of, of those resources. Uh, talk about the work uh, necessary in order to go through this identification process and how the, the tribes would be involved. Yes, thank you, Chair, um, Mr. Gahava. A lot of the a lot of the work that the Tribal Historic Preservation Offices do um, is directly under the National Historic Preservation Act. And the, the Tribal Historic Preservation Officers have been faced with a lot of, a lot of disparity ourselves in the sense that um, we've been challenged with underfunding for years. And the National Historic Preservation Act and a lot of these projects on public lands require um, require heavy permitting um, to be done to assess the cultural resources, and that is that 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 work um, on tribal lands is done by the tribal historic preservation officers, and then on federal lands, tribal historic preservation officers and tribes are required to be consulted. Um, tribes. Um, are severely underfunded. About five to 10 tribes are added a year and the funding for TIPOs and the funding doesn't match that. Yeah, and I, you know, just to follow up, if I may, 
the, you know, we've heard today and we'll continue to hear concerns about how these bills uh, might impact the management of other resources, access uh, to those resources. Uh, the significance of ancestral and cultural connections to these landscapes are, have been low on the, on the list of, uh, of rationale to stu both study and protect. Uh, do you think, if I may, that it's appropriate to protect tribal resources explicitly as these uh, as legislation does as a primary use? Same, same witness. Okay, sorry, I didn't know if you were talking to me. Um, these bills, the reason why we support these bills is because they specifically, specifically protect sacred sites and places that are important to tribes. And there cannot be enough. And I, I, I heard um, a question of another witness earlier that um, was saying, you know, aren't there enough laws? And I'm sorry, but I, I think there aren't enough. Could there be enough laws? There aren't enough laws. We're talking about more than 200 years of federal Indian policy that has been specifically drafted to take away sacred places, sacred sites, and to alienate the native people and the indigenous people from these sites as a way of furthering genocide. That is as, 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 as extreme as it gets. That's as, as real as it gets. So when, when you're talking about pro having problems with housing, having problems with, oh, I'm sorry, but our children have to be living in a basement but we're talking about our children dying and an inordinate number gotcha. of fentanyl overdoses, these types of things. We're talking about the trauma, intergenerational trauma, because these sacred places are being torn from us. The intergenerational trauma that we live with, I know what happened to my great-grandmother. I, I, I know what happened to my great-grandfather. Thank you. And um, there, Ancestors. Thank you. I need to ask. Yeah. I've got two seconds left, and I wanted to ask uh, uh, Ms. Smallhouse just one quick question, if I, if I may, Mr. Chairman. I didn't want to cut off the the, the answer, but uh, I don't know. For some reason, I suspect that we. Might Chairman's time has expired. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We'll proceed, Mr. Chairman. As uh, much time as you'd like. That was, uh, that was, that was a good one. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Ms. Smallhouse. I don't know why, but I suspect that we might disagree on uh, the value of some of the designations we're considering today uh, for the Great Bend at the Gila. But I wanted to ask at least whether for the Great Bend, if there are concessions uh, we would con that, that we could consider that would allow the Farm Bureau to support the legislation. Number one, uh, if we put cultural resources and protection of those issues at the core of that, uh, protecting that landscape, is there concessions that the Farm Bureau would ask of us or ask of uh, the tribes in order to uh, support the legislation? 
I greatly appreciate that question, Chairman Grijalva. And in general, any of these designations that take in a wide swath of land area um, are something we can't support. What we have supported in the past is very um, specific uh, protections around these valuable archaeological sites because we believe that national monuments, national conservation areas were intended to be very careful, sort of like with a scalpel instead of a, you know, a, a, instead of just a, a machete. In terms of, you have to be very careful about where you put these um, designated areas. And in that sense, we we realize the appreciation and the value of these um, cultural sites for Native Americans, but we don't agree with creating such broad, large areas and creating multiple layers of designation when you're specifically trying to protect a specific cultural site. Thank you. And thank you, Mr. Chairman, and my apologies to uh, the other witness for cutting her time off. I just wanted to get that one, one question in, and, uh, and thank you very much. The Chairman yields back. I thank the witnesses for their valuable testimony and the members for their questions. The members of this committee may have some additional questions for the witnesses, and we will ask you to respond to those questions in writing. Under Committee Rule 3, subparagraph O, members of the committee must submit witness questions within three business days following the hearing, and the hearing record will be held open for 10 business days for those responses. If there is no further business, then without objection, the subcommittee stands adjourned. <laughs>